back to the Literary Lounge. I'm Emily. And I'm Paige. And we're here on a Wednesday. We are talking about Local Woman Missing by Mary Kubica. Yeah, um, our drink for today is Delilah's Tonic, and you can go find that recipe over on our Instagram. It's really good. It changes colors. I don't know how it happens. Yeah, we use the butterfly pea flower tea, and then when you squeeze lemon in it, because it starts out blue, and when you squeeze lemon in it, it turns like a pinkish purple. Yeah, you're the drink mastermind. I just (laughs) give you the thumbs up. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's kind of like florally and like herbally. Yeah, it's good. So for those that haven't joined us before, we release a podcast episode every Wednesday talking about a different book. Um, We do go full into spoilers. So if you haven't read Local Woman Missing by Mary Kubica, this is your cue to hop off. I want you to stick around, but I just want to say that this is honestly one of my favorite thrillers. And so I really think that if you haven't read this book, that you should give it a shot, especially to like, we both listened to the audiobook of it. And I don't know about you, but I love the narrators. They have a different voice for each perspective. It's really well done. This book is so twisty and perfect. So I just don't want you to like waste an opportunity to read this book. Yeah, I, so the first time I actually, I've read this twice. The first time I read it, the second time I listened to it, I have such an issue like listening to audiobooks. Like I just, I space out a lot, but this one was a little better. I did like how it had different voices for the different point of views and different characters, but I think I, I still prefer to read it mm-hmm. over listening to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was really good. Yes, yeah. this, this is a good book that kind of keeps you on your toes and kind of gives you the physical um, responses, like your heart racing and yeah, kind of getting short of breath, mm-hmm. the excitement of it. So, yeah. Yeah, regardless of the method you choose to read this book, I, I definitely think you should give it a shot. Um, but by all means, once you're done, then come back and listen to our conversation on it. So, yeah. So should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's hop right in. Okay. So Local Woman Missing has three different perspectives throughout the book, mainly these three. There's a couple others that we get. But so the first one is Meredith's perspective. And this is 11 years before present in the month of March. And she's one of the victims. And then the other perspective we get is Kate. And she's the neighbor to Meredith and her husband, Josh, and their two kids. And hers is 11 years prior, but in May. So it's two months after. And then the third perspective we get is Leo's. And he's a high schooler. He's one of the kids of Meredith and Josh. And hers, his perspective is present day. So this book kind of alternates between the three. And I think that's one of like the really cool things about this book is that you're just being pulled in so many different directions that yeah. it's just it's such a wild ride, this mm-hmm. book. I felt like it was a little hard to keep track of at first, but like once you kind of get into it, like after a few different perspective changes, it's easier to like track. Yeah. And as I said too, with the audiobook, they have a different voice for each person, which I'm forever grateful for because sometimes it really bothers me. Like when men try to do a women's voice and women try to do a men's voice, it just almost sounds too corny to be true. Yeah. Yeah, I think one issue I did have with the audiobook and the different perspectives is if I always missed who was talking and like where it was, like if it was 11 years earlier, present day, I guess present day one was easier mm-hmm. to find because it was Leo. Yeah. But yeah, Kate and Meredith, I always got mixed up. 
<laughs> so. Yeah, well, found your way in the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so this book actually starts out with Shelby's perspective, which this is the only point in the book that we get her point of view. But it's 11 years earlier, and she goes for a run one night. Um, she's a young mother. She just gave birth to a baby girl. Her and her husband have a lot of marital issues. We learn this right off the bat. Her husband gets home. He's got lipstick on his shirt. She's going on a run, air quotes. She's actually meeting up with another man to hook up with him. Yeah. Yeah, so she um, is on a run to meet up with someone, and she kind of, well, I think she, like, turned around, and there was a car coming, mm-hmm. and it comes so fast, it hits her, and then the scene just kind of, like, fades to black. Like, that's kind of where it ends, and then it yeah. jumps ahead to someone else's point of view. I can't remember who started, but yeah, it was Delilah. Yep, yeah. it goes to Delilah, but yeah, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. I think maybe she bends down to tie her shoe or is doing something where she's not fully paying attention to her surroundings, mm-hmm. and a car just comes right up on her and, like you said, fades to black. That's all we know. Yeah. And we also don't actually know her name. I just want to, I mean, if you've read this, then I'm just reiterating facts, but she narrates from first person point of view, but we learn early on that it's her. Mm-hmm. Just from putting two and two together, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. So after Shelby, it comes Delilah. So this is the, this is current. And um, Delilah is a young teenager that's being held captive in a basement with another young boy called Gus. And they're living in very poor living. They're living in poor conditions. Like they're, she's, they're living in their own shit pretty much like yeah they never clean the toilet that's down there yeah like, every once in a while she'll get a sponge bath I can't imagine that that's very frequent no and they don't have toilet paper either so they're just like oh yeah they have yeah shit crusted on them but <laughs> it's very sad um so they don't have like blankets I don't even think they have clothes do they I don't think she really gets like a change of clothes yeah they have yeah like you said there's no blankets she's so used to sleeping on the floor being cold um Mm -hmm. they eat very little amount of food yeah um so they kind of get like mush like that's pretty much like in a dog bowl her captors always leave it's a man and a woman they always leave like their food usually at the top of the stairs they have to like come up but they're in like pure darkness all the time like their eyes can't adjust to light very often or very much and um in one of her meals she gets a spoon while she kind of she steals the spoon and Gus is trying to convince her like no don't steal that they'll know and then they'll they'll punish us but she does it anyway and she starts to like make a shank out of it like Mm she starts to grind it and like carve it and everything on the toilet like on the somewhere on the back of the toilet but she makes this shank and she plans to escape while they bring her her food at the top of the stairs and she doesn't go up there and they're kind of getting mad that she's not coming to get her food. So uh, they come down. I think it's just the the man down there at that point. And he tries to like make moves on her. Yeah. He brings her a candy bar because he feels kind of sorry for her that she didn't get the meal that mm-hmm. they originally tried to give her. Yeah. The wife isn't home or maybe she's in bed. Actually, I think she's in bed. Yeah, it might be in the middle of the night, but she wouldn't know because it's always dark down there. Yeah. 
He goes down there. He tries to make moves on her, and she stabs him with a knife and grabs Gus, and they run up the stairs and out the house. Well, they're, like, running through the woods, and they find she finds a shed. And, like, during this time when they're running, she loses Gus. Mm-hmm. She finds a shed, and then she waits in there until the morning. Well, this was kind of like a skin crawl moment because the man and the his wife are, like, looking for them and, like, hollering for them. Yeah. And he comes into the shed and is like shining the light in there. So like at this time you're just thinking like, oh, she's going to get caught. Like it's, it's a very, it it made my heart race. Yeah. I, I remember that. So I read this book twice. You did as well. We loved it so much. We knew we had to talk about it on the podcast, but (laughs) I remember the first time, especially that I was reading this book, I was like listening to it while I was getting ready for work or something. And I just like stopped what I was doing. I was like, run. Like, mm-hmm. it's just crazy. Like the adrenaline rush, like hoping that she gets away. And the other thing too, that was kind of interesting is when the man and the woman are looking for her, one of them asks the other, like all good back home. And the other responds, all good. And so I was wondering like, because spoiler alert, like we learn later on that Gus is just like a coping mechanism that she has. Yeah. It's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then like, what was that referring to? Yeah. I don't think we ever learn. I wonder if there's like another victim there somewhere else not in the basement or something. That's weird. Yeah. Or maybe like, maybe like all good back home, like the cops didn't come, like she didn't find someone to call the cops yet, maybe. Yeah. Or like maybe they just kind of like locked up the house because they don't want anybody to like walk in and obviously see like where she was living down there. So she waits till morning and she kind of uh, tries to walk around. She's very cautious. She's like in the ditches, not make. she's making sure that she's not seen and she's going through the woods and she runs into this woman and a dog. And with her daughter, too, and their dog, and they help her. It kind of ends with her going with this woman. Yeah, the woman asks her what her name is, and she, like, very hesitantly tells her Delilah Dickey. Yeah. And the woman's eyes just get huge because mm-hmm. like such a whole uh, high-profile case. Yeah. Yeah, so um, at the beginning of this book, why did you think that the couple was keeping Delilah in their basement? Yeah, that's such a good question because she seems like such a nuisance to them. Like, they're yeah, like, oh, they're, God, we got to feed her again. Like, yeah, they don't want to really feed annoyed. her. They don't want to do anything with her. They never let her come upstairs. Like, they spend no time with her. And they get mad at her when she, like, smells bad and, like, they just yeah. don't take care of her at all. And from what we know, too, is, like, nothing, obviously, like, nefarious is happening from, like, a sexual standpoint. Like... Unless the man's, like, drugging her, I don't think that anything, like, from that, like, extreme is happening here. Yeah. At this point, too, we don't know how long she's been in the basement. She just knows that she's been in there for a long time. Yeah. And why all of a sudden is the man trying to make a move on her? Like, you think he would have done it before. Do you think they were trying to, like, break down her, like, will to live? Yeah. But like you said, we don't know how long she's been down there. It could have only been a year. It could have been 10 or 11. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so unknown at this point. But that's a tough question for sure. Yeah. I mean, this kind of goes along with it. But, like, what do you think their motive was at this point? Because later on in the book, we find out what her, their motive was. I I guess I was thinking, like, very far out in left field. Like I said, like, I wondered if they were drugging her food. 
Yeah. And like as fucked up as this sounds, like like going down there when she's passed out kind of thing. And then that night when she doesn't eat the food, he goes down there with the candy bar and like tries to like talk to her and like win her over with like a snack. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought like maybe they don't have kids and they were like trying to like pretend that they have a kid, but then they realize like that's like their ideal situation of having a kid, like not having to deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. It's hard to say at this point. The other like wild thing about this perspective too, is how she talks with such like a hick accent. The Delilah. Yeah. Cause she's narrating like everything that's happening. Yeah. And it's, and we learn like, cause further on when we get like Leo's perspective, she was down there for such a long time that she started talking like the people that were holding her captive and they yeah. were just like white trash basically. Like, Well, that's all she heard for yeah. what we find out is 11 years. Well, do they have her longer than that though? I don't think we ever find out like the full duration, Yeah, but she talks just like them. So mm-hmm. it's just like crazy the amount of effort and like thought that went into this book especially from like a narrative like a audiobook narrative yeah. standpoint but like that's a small detail but it makes sense because she was with them and that's yeah all she heard so the one thing that i thought was kind of like this is such a minor thing but she practices calisthenics down there because she's planning her escape yeah i'm like where did she learn the word calisthenics? Like, not from those two. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's no. such a stupid thing to, like, pick up on. But I was like, that doesn't sound like a word that okay. these, like, trailer park peeps, like, are thrown around. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if she was taken so young. Like, where would she ever have learned that word? Yeah, she most, definitely didn't most like, six-year-olds don't know calisthenics. I literally didn't even know that word till like, recently. I just gave you a funny look because I didn't know what that was. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, well, Delilah's safe and sound, so we can move on. So, Kate's perspective is what comes next is kind of when we get into, like, the meat and potatoes of the book. Yeah. So, this is 11 years before, and it's a stormy night. Her and her girlfriend, B, that I was going to say wife, but they're not married. Um, so they're both at their house. I think Bee's out in her shed where she practices music. She's a musician. Kate's doing something in the house, maybe making dinner. Um, and her neighbors, Josh and Leo, show up on their doorstep. And they are wondering if either her or Bee have seen Josh's wife, Meredith, or his little daughter, Delilah. Um, they stand there for a while, kind of discussing like all the different places that Meredith and Delilah could have ran off to because Meredith's a doula. So she's kind of at the house and leaving at random points in the day, often at night, like she's at the mercy of whenever her clients are going to deliver or like whatever they need from her. So she doesn't really have like set hours in her schedule. So they kind of throw that around. Um, They try to figure out like, okay, if she had, like, a delivery, like, why'd, why'd she bring Delilah yeah, with? Yeah, Delilah like, went to point. Why is she not texting? Because she's usually pretty responsive. Like, they're just really worried, and, and nobody can really, like, pinpoint what exactly is going on here. Yeah, and they're really worried, too, because they just learned about the appearance of Shelby Tebow. So that's, like, a high alarm. Like, now your wife and your daughter are missing right after someone else is discovered missing. Right. 
they're just kind of on high alert from that other case. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then they send out search parties. So Kate and B help participate with that. They're going around the neighborhood asking different people if they've seen Meredith and Delilah. They stop at a couple different houses. Um, they talk to Cassandra Hanaka, which is a neighbor. Um, and she actually tells them that she saw somebody outside of Meredith and Josh's house, like just kind of snooping around in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. So that's one interesting tidbit we hear. Yeah. And then they also hear from the yoga instructor and that Meredith has cut back hours there because she's also a yoga instructor. And um, Josh didn't know anything about this. So mm-hmm. now we're kind of wondering like, oh, did, like, what's Meredith hiding from Josh? Is she cheating? It's like, we don't know what's going on. Um, but they also go to another house, which is Jason Tebow, and that's Shelby Tebow's husband. And Shelby, again, is missing. And he tells Kate and Meredith, he tells Kate that Meredith was Shelby's doula. And he mentions that the obstetrician, or the obs, <laughs> the OB. <laughs> <laughs> and all about the birth and of their daughter. I think it was a girl. I don't know. Yep. Anyway, the birth yep. of their baby and how the birth went wrong. And that was because of the OB and he used forceps to try to pull the baby out, which caused a lot of brain damage. And now they're in a lawsuit. And I think it was at this point that we find out that Shelby and Jason are suing the OB and Meredith is supposed to testify. Yep. So instantly here, I was like, it's definitely the doctor. Because he's mm-hmm. a huge asshole throughout the entire book. Um, he does not have any bedside manners. He thinks he, like, rules the roof. Like, he he just, he's yeah. terrible. <laughs> thinks very highly of himself. Has very barbaric, like, practice techniques. Yes. and. Yeah, he's definitely sketch for sure. And also, like, I think at this point when they were talking to Jason, Kate was kind of skeptical of him because it's no secret that he abuses Shelby. Yes. Or was before she went missing. So they're kind of like, did he have something to do with it? Yeah. And I think at this point, too, like, Kate was very nervous. But I remember B was kind of not if I remember right yeah she's very like engaged though like she oh yeah for sure she's like conversing and like trying to help figure out what's going on and she's also like up just as upset as Kate or seems like she is anyways yeah um so after this it jumps back to Meredith 11 years before out of the blue, Meredith starts receiving threatening text messages from an unknown number, and she goes to the hospital for a delivery, and she receives a get-home-safe text from that same number, and she goes into the parking garage, and she's, like, very cautious of her surroundings. She's scared. Mm-hmm. She and just starts running. Like, she like, walks really fast, like, to, out to her car, because she just feels, like, she has that feeling that somebody has her yes. eye on her. Yeah, and then she saw the text, so... Yeah, she's scared shitless and feels that someone's watching her and she finally goes in the car and like locks the doors and she's sitting there for a little bit like trying to compose herself and someone appears at her window, which that was like another like scary feeling for me. Yeah. Um, and it ends up just being her, the midwife that she works with. Mm-hmm. 
and I can't remember what she wanted, but They're I really like giggling about the baby's name. Oh yeah. Zeppelin. Zeppelin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One thing I really liked about this author is that she's really good at capturing like what it feels like to be a woman, like, especially like by yourself out, like, especially like in a parking garage too. Well, yeah. But just like how it feels to be a woman, like constantly like scared. Yeah. Looking over your shoulder. Yeah. Okay. I have a story about that too. So um, I have like a similar like parking garage story. So when I lived in an apartment, um, this is before, I think it was before I met my husband, Nick, but I was um, getting home at night from, I think I went to a yoga class, parked my car and I start walking towards like the elevator lobby in the, in the garage. And this guy like comes flying around the corner on his motorcycle and he has like a helmet on and like, I just kind of got nervous because he was coming so fast and like out of the blue. And I was already on edge just because like you were saying, like, I know exactly how that feels to like be alone at night, like in a parking garage. And so he's like flying right at me. I started running <laughs> like I got I just like I don't know, got in my own head and I just start like booking it like down the parking garage. And the guy catches up to me and he goes, you don't have to be afraid. <laughs> And I, like, so felt sad. really bad because he's probably, like, what is, like, this poor girl's, like, afraid of my motorcycle. But I was just, I don't know. Everything at once was just like, dude, freaking Dude, I wasn't afraid of the motorcycle. I was afraid of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I really like how she encaptures that. And later on, too, we find out, like, Kate and B go to that OB and pretend that she's pregnant. And he's just terrible. And, like, he isn't, like, getting her permission to, like, performing the procedures and is kind of just disgusting overall and it just makes you it's it's good to like display that kind of fear that we typically feel because I know I felt like that before I don't even go to male doctors anymore so yeah it's just kind of what you're comfortable with yeah. um but we also know that Meredith because she's narrating it and she tells us that she's keeping these texts from Josh. Like when she first starts getting them, she's bathing their son, Leo, and she's like purposefully hiding her phone from him. Like, why do you think she kept it from him? I think because Josh was so concerned with her being a doula, especially like going out late at night. And also, especially after Shelby's, how she's gone missing. Um, but he just wants her to stay safe. And I think she held it from him because she was scared that Josh was going to have her quit her job and she really just that's what she wanted to do so mm -hmm. and he's already been pushing her about it so if she would have told him that it could have like sent him over the edge and just kind of been like no you're not you're not doing this anymore yeah would you like if you were in the same situation would you have told David definitely me yeah. too I'd, I'd be scared I'd be freaking the fuck out like yeah I would have the police yeah <laughs> And if you had the same concerns as her about, like, your husband doesn't want you to have this late night job because of your safety, like, that's the whole part of marriage is you have these conversations. Sometimes they're difficult. You're not always going to agree with one another. But, like, I just feel like you have that conversation, try to work through it, like, find a way that everybody is, like, happy with the situation. And ultimately, it's her career. You know, yeah, that's, that's what she wants to do. Like, Sorry. Yeah, that's her choice. I don't think that her husband, any husband or just any partner in general should have that much control over something. Mm -hmm. I know there's someone in my life 
I'm not going to name names, obviously, but like uh, the husband doesn't want the wife to work ever. He just mm-hmm. wants her to stay at home with the kids and like she wants to go back to work, mm-hmm. but he doesn't want her to. So she has to stay home. And I just think that's absolutely terrible. Yeah. I don't know. I think she should have a say, especially that she wants to go back to work. Yeah. Like, why are you holding her hostage in this house pretty much? Like, yeah, that I don't like that. I don't either. But I guess that would be my answer, though. Like, yeah, I'd, I would tell him. But, like, if he tries to, like, take my career away, away and, like, the thing that I like the most. Yep. Then it's not happening. Totally agree. Yeah. Um. So now it jumps to Leo in the present tense. And Leo is speaking to Delilah. And... He reveals that his mom died from a self-inflicted knife wound and that Delilah has been missing for 11 years. Mm -hmm. And Delilah was found and returned to the family and she, she was at the police station and they let her go right away. Like they didn't have her go to child services or anything. Like they let her go home that night, which I think was a huge mistake. Yeah. They, they actually, or Leo actually says that it's, not typical because usually they will keep them there for a few nights while the yeah. DNA test is pending. That and just like she needs like the therapy to like go through that trauma too and just to kind of get all that information while it's fresh in her head. Yeah. But yeah. because Carmen, the police officer, has kind of a little fling with Josh, now she's willing to bend rules and just sends Delilah home with them. And Leo talks a lot about how different Delilah is. I mean, Aside from the fact that it's been 11 years and she's not a little girl anymore, she it's very obvious, like, how traumatized she is. Like, yeah, for she sure. doesn't sit in chairs. I mean, she didn't have any furniture down that basement, so she wants to sit on the floor and eat. She calls them both sir because the man and woman that were holding her captive said you had to call, I think, ma'am and sir was the only way that she could address them. Mm-hmm. Um, Leo notices the way that she talks. Like, she sounds like a hillbilly. Um, there's just, like, a lot of strange behaviors that she has but understandably from things she's been through yeah and I mean she's 11 years older I think Leo was like three or four when she disappeared and she Mm -hmm. was like six yeah so obviously she's gonna be different and again like she went through so much trauma and that's all she's known for 11 years and she didn't get any like schooling during those 11 years so no yeah she's gonna not be that educated yeah. Yep. And so they have like a, a little scare like that first night too. They think that she's taken off because they check up on her in her bedroom and she's gone, but they find her in the basement sleeping on the floor because that's in like a really strange way comforting to her because it's familiar. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I didn't know that they did a DNA test. Yep. Yeah. They like a couple days later, they're like, yep, it's her. And it was Carmen that said that. Yep. We'll get, we'll get there. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. So now it jumps back to Meredith 11 years before, um, she meets with her news client, which is the one and only Shelby Tebow. And Shelby is looking for a a support system during this, the end of her pregnancy. They just moved to the neighborhood. Um, she's nearing the end of the pregnancy and she shares that her husband thinks Meredith is a con artist and he they try to like 
talk her down yeah, like her price a, yeah and she's like so annoying yeah she's like this is not up for discussion like yeah. these are my rights like I'm literally like answering your beck and call like 24 7 anytime like I will be there for you which the most annoying thing about it too is she still tried to talk her down even though she had the check for the full amount like in her hand like why did you still try to talk, talk her down like you, you have the check right now yeah it seemed it's like annoying. Shelby was doing it just because Jason wanted her to, but when Meredith was very firm, no, with her, she kind of like cracked a smile. She's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, not long after that, Shelby gets a text, or Meredith gets a text from Shelby one night and says that she's afraid of her husband. Well, we know that there's a lot that's going on between Shelby and Jason Tebow. Yeah. Um, I, which I don't think meredith knows this like she doesn't know shelby no, but we as readers do yeah we know because yeah we've heard from the other perspectives and um after all this but yeah she uh she's really worried for shelby because she doesn't respond to any of like meredith's texts after that so she goes to check up on her the next day just drives over to her house unannounced which isn't typical for her and she shows up at their doorstep shelby is shocked to see her standing there and plays it off like oh like I was just being silly like no big deal like you can leave and Meredith hears a man's voice like in the background and he hasn't and she hasn't met Jason yet so she assumes it's Jason like yelling for Shelby to like bring him a beer basically and so Meredith's just worried about her because it seems like whoever Shelby is with is kind of high maintenance and she's worried that she's trying to like cover up abuse mm -hmm. yeah so now we jump to kate which is 11 years before um and a body has been found and it is confirmed to shelby's and it's not meredith um but the police come and they kind of sweep through josh's house and they find blood in the garage and that blood ends up being meredith's Kate goes to speak with the midwife and hears that Meredith like was butting heads with a doctor and kind of hears a little bit about Shelby's case and um, she decides to go get an exam by Dr. Feingold, which is the OB. B goes with her, her girlfriend, to this exam. She pretends to be pregnant and Dr. Feingold is, he he's very like, aggressive in a sense like he doesn't get her permission for any part of the exam he's really weird because they get a blood test to confirm if she's pregnant or not and while they're or I think it's even before they do the blood test he wants to do a pelvic exam on her which is really weird because if you have the blood test and the blood like you're only going to have hcg in your blood if you're pregnant like you don't produce that unless you're pregnant so it's it's creepy that he wanted to do a pelvic exam when like you can get the blood test results. And that's typically not what would happen. Like you would get the blood test first before you confirm with the pelvic exam. Yeah. Like that's just gross. Yeah. He's doing things in a really weird way and he's giving her like the creepy crawlies for sure. Mm -hmm. And B's really worried about her because like she's been hearing all these things about Dr. Feingold too. She's been with Kate this whole time during the investigation and she doesn't leave the room because the whole situation is just really sketchy. Um, but they actually, well, not B, but Kate asks Dr. Feingold 
she plays it off like, oh, I, if I am pregnant, like I'm going to want to get a doula. And here's three that I keep hearing such good things about and mentions Meredith. And Dr. Feingold says, oh, the first two you could go with, but I've never worked with Meredith Dickey. Yeah, he pretends not to know her. And during this whole time, like during this exam, B is in this room with Meredith. And we do find out at the end about B. Mm-hmm. And that she is the one who killed them. And I think it's just, it's gross that like B knew the whole time that Dr. Frankel didn't do anything. Like obviously she did it, but like she watched her partner go through this literally. It was very traumatizing to her mm-hmm. go through this exam and everything without like not even saying anything. Like, no, you don't have to say that you killed them, but like make any excuse to leave there. Like, why would you sit in the room and watch your partner go through this traumatizing thing. Yeah. Like, it's just disgusting. Yeah, it's very selfish. She did try to talk her out of it, like, constantly, but Kate was very determined to, like, get to the bottom of the situation. I don't think she worked hard enough for it. Yeah. But, yeah. Um. Well, they leave the the, the doctor's office, and it's a thunderstorm, and they're driving, and... Kate suspects that someone is following them. So it's kind of getting really hard to see while they're driving. And in order to see if like this person is following them, Kate makes like a super last minute sharp turn. And so does the car behind her, which is very scary. Mm -hmm. And they, Kate realizes like this person is following them. And I think it jumps to a different perspective in the middle of this. I don't think it finished that perspective because I remember reading and it it jumped back to it okay yeah I don't remember but sounds right yeah so at this point in the story we've been introduced to like a lot of potential subject suspects who were you like the most skeptical of I definitely thought something was up with Dr. Feingold just because he has such like a reason to hate them with Mm -hmm. like the the lawsuit. lawsuit Um, so he was definitely like on my radar. I went back and forth on the husbands. I felt like that would maybe be too obvious just because like with Shelby and Jason having such a rocky marriage, um, that's very likely. I mean, that's very realistic. That is unfortunately some of the situations like with domestic violence, but again, is that too obvious? I wondered if it was Josh, but I thought that the texts might be related to her disappearance. And so she was receiving those texts like when Josh was in the bathroom with her when they were bathing Leo. And so he couldn't have been sending them unless he was working with somebody, which that seemed a little like odd. Yeah. So I, yeah, there's just so many people that you could be like, oh, I could see that. I could see that. It's just, that's what's so fun about this book is you're constantly like changing your opinion on people. Mm -hmm. I never thought it was Jason just because I thought that one was definitely the most obvious. I mean, they're making him out to kind of be abusive and it's, it's too obvious. I thought possibly Josh for a while because he was like so devastated and like sad about it. And like, there was never like I don't know. Like, I just thought like, oh, they're like playing him out to be sad and like, but he, like maybe he really did do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I definitely thought the doctor for a while just because, yeah, he has like a good reason to do it with a lawsuit. And then at some point too, I thought it was, might've been Cassandra because she also has a, I mean, there's never a good reason to kill someone, but she also has like her own reason yeah. of like why it could be. Right. Her. So yeah. The, 
Always the anomaly, though, is Delilah. Because with, like, the doctor, okay, like, they're both suing him, Shelby, and Meredith. But, like, where does Delilah fit in? Like, how did she get to that house, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, if Meredith was kidnapped by the doctor, like, did he just sell Delilah? Like, Yeah, why? I was always trying to figure out where she fit in or if it was even related at all. Like, you and I were kind of talking about this um, the other day about, like, did they just... Leave, like did Dr. Feingold leave her on the side of the road and was like see ya and then she just like happened to get picked up by this like sicko couple that yeah. like kidnap kids like what's going on here mm-hmm. at any point did you ever sus- suspect Kate or B no okay I I did suspect B like halfway through mm-hmm. just because like during the story you find out like B doesn't want Kate to go in the studio her studio her like shed or whatever and like for 11 years like you didn't even tour it like you've never seen the inside of the studio like that's so weird to me and you never questioned it like as in Kate never questioned like hey like why don't you ever let me in your studio why do you hide the key all the time like what the fuck are you hiding like something's wrong here like right and she said like that she would make her a copy of the key because she claims that somebody tried to break in at one point and yeah she said Kate I'll make you a key never did but she just, like, didn't think anything about it. She's trying to play she it just, off. Yeah, she's like, I have no reason to go in there, I guess, so I don't need a key. Yeah. And another thing, too, is I was like, what is Kate's, like, purpose in this book? Like, I get, like, she is, like, going around, like, trying to gather evidence and, like, is talking to all these people. But, like, anyone could have done that. Like, why do you have Kate do that? Right. And it's because of B. The killer like, is closer than you think. Yeah. So... All right, so moving on, um, we go to Meredith's perspective. So Shelby is ready to give birth to her baby. Um, Meredith is there the entire time trying to supervise and look out for Shelby's best interests because, as we've said, Dr. Feingold doesn't exactly do things by the book. Um, and Shelby is having a really tough, like, delivery, and Jason's really worried about her this is also where Meredith realizes that Jason is not the voice that she heard <laughs> in Shelby's house. And so she's trying to think through all that. And then Jason also admits to Meredith that night that he thinks Shelby is cheating on him. And so Meredith's kind of like trying to piece all this together and um, is like, well, maybe those texts that she was receiving from Shelby were like, her way of trying to plant this like abusive storyline about Jason so she could have like full custody of her daughter when she's born and so the whole thing is just like a very emotional night for her and Dr. Feingold as we've said like uses the forceps to get the baby out because Shelby gets to a point where she's like I can't do this like get this baby out of me like do whatever you need to do. And Dr. Feingold takes that basically as like consent to use these forceps. And so Meredith was pushing for a C-section mm-hmm. because Shelby had told her with like the birthing plan they put together, like I'm fine with the C-section. Like I'd rather have a natural needed. delivery, but if yeah. it comes to it, like that would be okay with me. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Feingold is not down for that. Well, she didn't say natural delivery either though. Cause she wanted the epidural. Oh, well, yeah. You know me. But like I don't once, know. <laughs> once you get like terms. An, once you get an epidural, like everything slows down. So like, mm-hmm. it takes longer to deliver the baby. But uh, yeah. So she was pushing for the C-section, and Dr. Feingold's lazy ass didn't want to do it. He just 
wants his like barbaric technique of using the forceps what's, to try to pull the baby out. Um, what's it called? I can't remember the term, but he also does something to like open the episiotomy. Yes, he also does that. He did that without permission too. Yes. But like one thing too, like I didn't, so like he should have asked permission. He should have explained it, informed consent mm-hmm. and explained like the procedure and the benefits of cutting before tearing. Mm-hmm. And I guess like I'm not a doula. I am a nurse, but I'm not a doula. And I I never worked in labor and delivery, so I don't know much about it. I was only educated in a little portion of it. Mm-hmm. But from what I've heard and what I've learned, it's always better to get it cut before you tear because tearing the one, this it's hard to stitch back up, harder to stitch back up. And it leaves like a, a worse scar. And if you cut, like you have a clean cut, and it's I think it heals better I'm not entirely sure but yeah he should have like discussed that procedure with her to get her informed consent to do it but he never did he just went and cut it and it was too late for um Meredith to say anything Mm -hmm. before it was over yeah so Shelby was in way too much pain to give consent and she just wasn't like in the right headspace where she could stand up for herself so Meredith was trying to like be that for her this should have all been discussed in her birth plan with her provider beforehand yeah the doctor should have been like part of those conversations but i mean i guess i think he would have done it yeah he would have not listened (laughs) to the plan but yeah Yeah, so it this kind of moves on to meredith and cassandra and Meredith goes to Cassandra's house to kind of see what's going on with Cassandra. She's been acting really weird lately. They they were close friends. The and kids are friends. Yep. The daughters played together all the time. And she's been kind of distant. So Meredith goes to visit Cassandra just to see, like, what's going on. And Cassandra's, like, super annoyed to see her. She's pissed off. And she reveals that um, Meredith and Marty used to have a – they have a history. They used to have a relationship together. And Cassandra's pissed about this because when Meredith and Marty first met, they pretended like they didn't know each other at all. Yeah. And she has like photo albums and like a note that Meredith, I think, left Marty. Yeah. And she was telling him about a pregnancy in the note. Yeah. So Meredith got pregnant and it was Marty's and she ended up having a miscarriage. So they never like reconnected after that but yeah. Cassandra's pissed off because like one they kept this from her two I think she's kind of realizing like if that baby did survive like would Marty and Meredith be together right now and Meredith makes the mistake like saying that it was young love and yeah. that just really triggered Cassandra she's like wait you loved him mm-hmm. and it was more of I think kind of like a puppy love like they didn't really know what love was at that point and Meredith kind of explains that um but they find out that Cassandra was the one sending her those texts. Yeah. So that solves that mystery. Right. Because the texts were like, I know what you did, bitch, rotten hell, like that yeah. kind of thing. And so we were like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Cassandra accuses Meredith of cheating with Marty present mm-hmm. day because she knows that Marty is going off late at night to get like air quotes ice cream. But then he doesn't even bother to come home with ice cream. Yeah. Like, and he comes home without his ring on, which that's when we put, like, two and two together with him and Shelby because Shelby says in the very beginning of the book that, like, the man that she goes and meets up with, like, always takes his wedding ring off before they hook up. 
And mm-hmm. so you're like, okay, like Shelby's the problem, not Meredith. But yeah. Cassandra doesn't believe her. She's like, you're sleeping with my husband. And it's just this whole thing. Like, it's not good. Like, she just hates her guts. Mm-hmm. If you were Meredith, would you have told your husband? Because neither of them know that Meredith and Marty were together at one point. Like, would you have told Nick? Yeah, I would tell him just because, like, knowing that this kind of situation could potentially happen, like, it could come out at some point. Yeah, and, and like, it's, gonna, it's sketchy. And like, you don't know what conversations are happening in the other household. Like, I would rather it come from me than, like, the guy, like, yeah. oh, we used to date and like finding this out months later when you've been neighbors for a while, like then your spouse might be like, why didn't you tell me? Like, yeah. why are you hiding this? Like, yeah. it's better just be upfront about it. I think it'd be awkward, like then bumping into this other couple in the future, but it's like, at least everybody's like aware, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, for sure. And just hiding it makes it think like you're up to, it makes it sound like you're up to something. Yeah. Would you tell David? Oh, for sure. But he's the one who made the move where he pretended not to know her. Yeah, he, like, stuck out his so, hand. Like, he's like, hi, I'm Marty. I would have, like, at that point probably been, like, hi, I'm Paige, like, thinking, like, obviously you remember me, but, like, maybe you don't. And I would have told David after that. Like, right. Like, we you actually like, know each other. Yeah. Like, you don't need to do it in the moment. But yeah. um, um, how would you feel if you were Cassandra? Like, oh, roles, I'd be roles reversed. Yeah. I'd be pissed, too. I wouldn't send threatening text messages, but I would be pissed. I'd be like... You're supposed to be, like, one of my close friends and you wouldn't even tell me this. Like, why Why didn't you? Mm-hmm. Are you up to something? Like, maybe you are screwing my husband. Yeah. Or, like, even if Every- your, your husband wasn't cheating on you, right? Like, you just found out months later that, like, your friends across the street, like, the wife used to date your husband. Like, I'd still think- be mad just because it's, like, why were you hiding this from me? It's slightly different, I think, because, like, the fact that she knows her husband is cheating because of, he comes home late and he mm-hmm. doesn't come back with what he said he was going to come back with and his wedding, wedding ring is off. And that just makes it worse because it's like, okay, well, you used to have this fling with Meredith, so obviously it's probably Meredith that you're, like, screwing. So, like, that makes it worse. But then if if that stuff wasn't happening, I probably would have been a little less mad. I'd be like, why? Like, just confused. Like, why didn't you tell me this? Yeah. I would have been mad, but not as mad. Yeah, you just kind of feel like, a little bit of a fool being out of the loop because then you think back on all the times you've all been together and you're like, okay, my husband and this woman are like probably sitting here at the dinner table, like thinking about, oh yeah, like that happened 10 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you just would feel so, I don't know, not blindsided, but not fully like you're getting what you just des- like the information you deserve. Yeah. Yeah, so let's move on to Leo. So now we're back in present tense, and Delilah brings up Gus, and everyone kind of panics about that because they're like, oh, there's another kid. Like, we need to find out who these people are. So they take Delilah for questioning, and... Oh, okay. So they did they find out during the hypnosis that Gus wasn't real? I think it was the hypnosis. Yeah, because then Leo yeah. is, like, angry with her. He's like, how could you have made this up? Like, you're a liar. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, cowering in a corner. Like, of course, you know, like, that. Like, she doesn't want to be yelled at. And Josh is trying to kind of keep him separated and is yelling at Leo, like, leave her alone. Like, it was a figure of in her imagination, like we've said earlier, was a coping mechanism. Like, it was basically, like, her mind's way of making it not so scary down there. Mm-hmm. During this, too, did they find out yet if it was 
no, not Carly, right? Or did they find out during the hypnosis? If no, really was Carly? that's with the um, DNA. So I guess kind of moving ahead to with Leo's storyline. So like around the same time, Piper Hanaka, so Cassandra and Marty's daughter, who used to be friends with uh, Delilah, approaches Leo at school and mentions that she's noticing discrepancies between like the newspaper pictures of Delilah, like present day, and the picture she has of her as like a kid. And so the Delilah that she grew up with had like a butt chin Mm -hmm. and this new Delilah doesn't have that. And that's not really something that just goes away from my understanding. And so Leo's kind of like starting to piece piece things together about how like Delilah doesn't really know anything about them at all. Granted, like she's been missing for so long, so you can kind of excuse it. But I think he's just like all these questions are going on in his head. And so he like brings it up to his dad. Yeah. So the thing that I don't understand with that is like, so she was taken when she was six. And obviously later we find out that this Delilah is not the real Delilah. It's Carly. Mm-hmm. But she was taken when she was six, at least that what we that's what we assume with Carly. But like, how would you not? You're six years old, like you're old enough to know your name. Like, I just don't understand. Like, she had to have been severely brainwashed to be told that Carly is not her real name. <laughs> you right. know, like so, and that's so weird. We learned that too. How the couple that uh, were keeping her. Because their motive end up, ended up being that they were so obsessed with this high-profile Delilah and Meredith case that they, like, plucked another redhead girl out, out from somewhere. We don't know where she was taken. But um, they, like, she must have been so traumatized that she just didn't really remember a lot about herself because they tell her that she's Delilah Dickey. Like, they show her, like, the newspaper articles of her parents looking for or her dad, rather, looking yeah. for her. And so she has this in her head all these years like I'm Delilah Dickey well they're supposed to look very similar to like really the only difference is the butt chin Mm -hmm. and so that in turn shows that Carly wasn't kidnapped before Delilah right so like how would she not they had like I just it's hard for me to believe that like she didn't even mention the name Carly ever yeah like when she was rescued like oh I thought my name was Carly but I guess I'm Delilah like that would say something right there you know yeah I think she's just very very screwed up with what she's gone through but um so backing up a little bit we learn that she's not Delilah after all because Josh agrees that they should probably ask about the DNA test like he's mad but he sees Leo's logic and they find out that the female police officer Carmen tampered with the dna test results because she was she's being selfish basically like she says she did it for josh because she wanted him to find peace and finally have delilah in his life again but But you're keeping this little girl from her real family like yeah and you're lying and i think she did it for herself more than anything because she like it seems like her and josh had like a fling but they weren't like a full-on couple and she probably thought oh if he has this missing puzzle piece in his life he'll be whole again and I can have the real Josh or you know have whole Josh like it's just fucked up yeah it's very fucked up um so after we find out the DNA results we find out that she is Carly and not Delilah Mm -hmm. 
Um, so this jumps back to Meredith and Meredith and B are like having a fun night out and they're driving home drunk. Well, yeah. this is where like shit hits the fan and B accidentally hits Shelby. So remember in the beginning when Shelby had her point of view, like whatever she was doing, tying her shoe, whatever car hit her. Well, it was actually B and <laughs> Meredith's in the car and Meredith is like devastated. She wants to call 911. B convinces her not to and they go and try to cover up the murder and they bury Shelby in the woods or whatever. Yeah, they, um, they take her clothes off because B's like really thinking this through, which is just scary. But yeah, she's like, well, if she's naked, then they'll think it was a man because they would, you know, assume that she was sexually assaulted. And the other thing, too, is. When they're driving away with, like, Shelby in the trunk to go bury her somewhere, Meredith, like, hears movement. Yeah, like, she's and not... And she's like, oh, my yeah. God, is she awake? Like, we like we should call 911. Like, we might be able to save her. And and B's playing it off, like, oh, like, she's dead already. And her body is just, like, kind of going through those, like, movements that sometimes happen, like, after somebody's passed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, they're, like, constantly arguing about it and... And Meredith, like, you can tell, like, is just, like, overcome with guilt. The other thing, so, too, is that, so, like I said, B is so calculated about this whole thing, but she takes, like, Shelby's clothes and hides them in the dumpster behind Jason Tebow's, like, office oh, to frame yeah. him. Um, and so, like, as the days are going on, that comes up that the police are now suspecting Jason and... B thinks that they're going to get off scot-free. Meredith, like, can't handle it anymore. She's mm-hmm. like, we have to tell somebody, like, I can't have this man go down for a murder he didn't commit. Like, and she keeps thinking about the little girl because she's, like, she's a mother. She knows, like, yeah. that she, Well, she witnessed the birth of this baby, too, and, like, yeah. the connection. And yeah. she is just a good person, so she's thinking about how this baby is going to grow up without her mother or father. And Meredith says, like, oh, we could just, like, play it off. Like, I was the one driving. Like, she was literally going to take the fall for B. Like, she was thinking about everything. Like, she just didn't, she just couldn't go on, like, living with this lie. And she didn't like keeping it from Josh. And it was starting to eat away at her. Mm -hmm. And so she's, like, trying to convince B in her garage while they're having a conversation about it. B is very adamant, like, nope. And so what she does is she takes a hammer, like, off the wall and hits her in the back of the head with it and knocks Meredith out. Okay, well, at this point, Meredith is a fucking idiot. Like, yes, it's eating you up. Like, you're guilty. Don't... This... B literally killed someone. She's a very dangerous person. Like, why are you telling her that you're going to go to the police? Like, yeah. Fake I, it. I did not think that was smart. That was stupid. Like... Say it, go along with her, and then when she leaves, call the police. Make her think that you're okay with it, that yeah. you can live with this, and then go call the police. Blindside her. Do anything. Like, why are you telling the person who just killed this lady that you're going to fucking call the police on her? Yeah, I think so she just believes, like, in the good and be way too much and trusts her because they've been good friends and neighbors for several years, and so I think she is still thinking that B is the person but she, she thought she was. But she got a taste of the real B when they hit Shelby. Right. 
that's like the thing that should have changed everything. Yeah. I mean, I like agree with your logic. Like if I were Meredith, I would have like kept my lips tightly sealed. Like I would have told my husband right away because I would literally not be able to keep it together. First of all, like Mm -hmm. getting home that night. But yeah, it. I don't know. I'm trying to like justify what was going through her head. But the thing that kind of throws this through the loop is that Delilah was homesick that day from school. And so she comes into the garage the minute her mom is like about to get hit with a hammer and then just witnesses the whole thing. So now she's an issue to be too because she saw it happen. And there's no way she can just let Delilah like go back into the house and hope that she doesn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. She's for sure going to say something. Yeah. Kids talk. Mm-hmm. So... After B hits Meredith with a hammer, she hauls her into her car and she takes her to like a motel outside of town. And so she's blackmailing Meredith because she wants Meredith to go into this hotel lobby, purchase a room for the week. And she says, if you don't do this, like, I'm never going to tell you where I put Delilah. And Meredith's so worried about like Delilah's safety that she just goes through with it. She goes in, gets a key, gets a hotel room. And then B is like, okay, let me think for a second. Did she kill B or did she kill Meredith in the motel room? Yes. So B kills Meredith in the hotel room by stabbing her. She makes it look like it was like a self-inflicted knife wound. Um, But like even in this moment, like Kate is still like thinking that B is like going to make the right decision. She's like in her head talking about how, oh, B is going to bring Delilah to me and she's just going to have us like wait out here for a week and B is going to like bolt and like we'll never see her again and then Josh and the police will come save us and then B's like, yeah, no, and like kills her. So sad. Yeah, so now we jump to Kate in the present tense and Delilah, the fake Delilah, who's actually Carly, so we'll refer to her as Carly from now on, she ran off, and everyone's, like, out looking for her. And the police show up and are, like, searching, and they go to Kate and B's house, and they want to search the property and the surrounding areas. Well, they want to go into the shed, mm-hmm. and B ditches. <laughs> and when they, like, want to go into the shed, she, like, runs off, and they find the real Delilah up in the attic. Mm-hmm. They bust the door down because B claims she's going to go, like, find the key in the house somewhere, and she just takes off. So mm-hmm. Kate's blindsided because she doesn't know what's going on, and she gives the police permission to break the door down. Yeah. Yeah, so they find Delilah, and this whole time Delilah has been in this attic. Growing up, she's kind of been well taken care of for the most part like she gets her food she gets books like she's living pretty good as like a captor or yeah or as like a victim like she she isn't being like abused or anything like she's living pretty well yeah I mean considering like what Carly was going through I think Delilah's got it better than most that are being held captive definitely yeah still very painful situation for her obviously being kept from her family for so long seeing her mom murdered um and the other thing too that b does is like shortly after she brought delilah up there she closes up the window to the attic she tells kate that she thinks somebody tried to break into the shed and so she changes the locks 
and puts plywood over the window. And so for these 11 years, Delilah's only been able to see out of a small hole in that wood out into the yard of like her dad and her brother. I think like out of all the captors, I think the real Delilah, like, like obviously the Carly, she had it bad, like being abused and like growing, like being down in the basement. But like, I feel like Delilah, she had some of the worst in the sense where she literally like watched her family grow up and like her little brother grow up. And she probably saw Carly there, like them thinking that was her. And she was missing out on everything. Like, I think it probably would have been better for her to not be able to see. Yeah. Than to, like, watch them every single day. Like, her dad leave for work and Leo playing out in the yard. Like, that's Yeah, so knowing sad. you're so close and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they find Delilah and it kind of ends up like being like a happy ending like yeah, Delilah like just have this reunion they know it's her like they say she's a spitting image of Meredith mm-hmm. um, and she transitions very easily into her life again yeah they notice like weird things about her they don't really get into it at all but um for the most part it's a happy ending B shortly gets caught when she attempts to purchase a fake ID so she takes full responsibility for it actually she doesn't, like, deny it at all when she, like, goes to court for it and everything. And Jason Tebow gets released from jail, and it's about as happy of an ending, I guess, these people are going to get, you mm-hmm. know, at this point, so. Yeah, so Kate, ride. <laughs> Kate mentions that Delilah sometimes misses B and wishes she could talk to her. Other than the captor, like, what are other roles do you think B have, has played in Delilah's life? She could have been, like, a motherly figure to her. I mean... it's all she's known for 11 years. Yeah, like, anything that Delilah would have needed, like, maybe the first time she got her period, anything like that that she'd be going through where she needs, like, somebody to consult or, like, confide in, like, that was going to be B. I think B was also, like, kind of a friend to her, obviously, before and after all this happened. Um, Because she also mentions that B used to, like, braid her hair and stuff and Mm -hmm. so despite keeping her up there like it kind of seemed like they had a good relationship yeah yeah I agree with that I think she was more of like a motherly figure to her and Mm -hmm. all right well that's pretty much like the end of the book yeah it's a wild ride I know said yeah (laughs) I love this book um Did you think that, like, any of the disappearances were related? Like, just looking back on everything. I did. I definitely thought Meredith and Shelby's were related. But I was just so confused of what happened with Delilah. Like, how did Delilah end up in this random couple's house? Like, was she, yeah, sold to them? Like, was she picked up off the street? Like, when Meredith was taken? Yeah, like, I thought they were connected. Did you... Yeah, same thing. Like we were saying earlier too, like, but we were wondering how Delilah like ended up somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But then, so then that also made me think that maybe they weren't connected and really the only like, like similarity that they had was this doctor. Other than that, maybe they were completely separate crimes, which yes and no, you Mm -hmm. know, they were, they weren't. Um, Same person, I guess, but different sort of situation that they were murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's kind of to like the other question I was going to ask you if like you thought there was more than one killer. No, I thought there was one. Mm-hmm. But did you think there was more than one? Well, that's what I was saying. Like I I thought about instances where they might be related or where they weren't be. Mm-hmm. And that just maybe the only thing they had in common was like the doula um, relationship and Dr. Feingold. But yeah. Out of all the victims, like who did you think had the worst experience? Ooh, <laughs> I feel like everybody really like went through it in this book. Um, Carly had yeah. it very rough. She was in that horrid basement for 11 years. She got her identity taken away from her. She ever, she experienced physical, emotional abuse. Yeah, she's yeah. definitely the most messed up, I would say. I mean, I think obviously Josh and Leo have been through a lot, losing two of their family members. Mm-hmm. Um, the real Delilah, like you were saying, had to watch her family like move on yeah. for that amount of time. Um, yeah, there's a, a lot of people in this book. That what about are, what about Kate? This whole time she thought her wife was this perfect partner yeah. and it, her, their whole relationship at this when this started has been a lie. Yeah. Oh, she's been blindsided for sure. And like, it's crazy because the entire story like her and B are the only people that don't have like a real problem in their life like aside from their neighbors missing that they were good friends with they seem like their life is pretty good like Mm -hmm. they have they both have like their own careers they're happily dating they talk about how they want to get married one day once it's legal in their state like and then they end up really having one of the biggest problems of all like it's just crazy weird I just think it was so weird I don't know if I mentioned this earlier but that like the whole time during their relationship and during the 11 years that Meredith and Delilah were missing that she never, Kate never even asked to get the, the tour of the studio yeah. or anything. Like that's just so weird. Yeah. Um, another thing that I thought was stupid in the book is like when the power went out and then they just like go outside to like flip the breaker. Like, are you stupid? Like if if you're assuming that your house is the only one the only one that lost power on the street, like hang tight, wait till morning. Like, why are you going to turn the power off now? when there's could possibly be like someone out there that turned your power off. Yeah. And we find out that their whole side of the street, their whole, their, all their power went out, but like they didn't know that until they like went outside and like found Josh out there. Yeah. And then they were like, Oh my God, it was him. Like, yeah. Oh, that was, was so stupid stay inside like I would lock myself in a room I would the last thing I would do is go outside if like, I thought yeah. that someone would like, like turn well, my power off babe get the candles like, yeah yeah <laughs> we're holing up tonight yeah or just go to bed like, yeah <laughs> yeah seems like a daytime mm-hmm. problem um why do you think that the author picked like Leo Meredith and Kate to narrate this book I think Leo was a good perspective to have just because like he was the little brother. He didn't, he was only three, I think when Meredith and Delilah went missing. So he grew up most of his life without his mom and his sister. So I think he was a good perspective to have because during this time, like his dad was distraught because his wife and the daughter were missing. So like he kind of grew up not having like that close of a relationship with his dad because of this, I think. So, like, he was a good perspective to have, like, when they did find Carly, which he thought was Delilah at that point. Um, 
And then I think with Meredith, obviously we need to have to know what happened to her. So we needed her perspective for that. Kate, I mean, I think we just needed her perspective because B was the actual killer. And I get, like I said earlier, that we needed her to like gather evidence, but I just, I think anyone could have done that. Like we could have had Josh do that. Mm-hmm. Like I think Kate, she didn't really have any other purpose in the book besides to gather the evidence. So I think they just threw her in there because the relation to B. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I think I just loved these three different points in time, like present day, 11 years before in March, and then two months later, you know, 11 years before in May. Mm-hmm. Like that's what makes the story so good is all the jumping around and like how you really have to try to like piece everything together. And yeah. it just like really keeps you on your toes, like all these different like clues being given to us. So I loved that she had these three, like tell the story. I think like with Leo, he he was kind of a little asshole, like just how bitter he was about his situation, which it's understandable. Like he grew up with just his dad and his dad was just not present, like emotionally for Leo because he was grieving so bad. So Leo is just like really like angry about everything that he's gone through his whole life, like being bullied and stuff. And so yeah. he has like a very kind of like um rude way that he describes like Delilah. He's like, you're missing your hair. Like he's just talking about how like gruesome she looks, which I think helps with the storytelling because you realize like how hard like how worse off she's had it like she is really not not in a good place at all Mm -hmm. and the way that he talks about it like paints the picture perfectly yeah well I think too at this time in the present tense Delilah is supposed to be 17 so that would make him 14 and like kids are brutally honest so I think that like comes into play right there um but like another thing too is when you brought up like the relationship between Josh and Leo like I would think, like, if this ever, God, I hope this never, nothing like this ever happens. But, like, if I were in Josh's situation, I would be holding on as tight as I fucking could to Leo. Because, like, that's your last kid. Yeah. You know? Like, I, like, how distant he is from him is just a little odd to me. Because, like, if I were in that situation, I would think I would be, like, holding on to him so tight. Like, right. Not, like, protecting him to the end of the world. Like, yeah. And Leo's probably angry that that's not how it was mm-hmm. um going back to why I think the author picked these people for perspectives um I agree with you with Meredith like she's the only person that's going to be able to talk about what happened to her aside from the killer and that would defeat the purpose of like trying to figure out who that is so um that's definitely true I also think that Meredith like She loves her kids so much. And there was like that question too of like, did she do something to Delilah? And so like getting her perspective and like hearing her talk about her loving marriage and her children and like all these people surrounding her and how she cares about her job. It just, it really shows who she is as a person. And so you understand like some of the choices that she makes um, in her point of view. Yeah, and her point of view, too, you kind of realize, like, she is going through it. Like, she she's struggling, like, mentally. So I think, yeah, that kind of 
now that I think about it, kind of did make you think like, oh, maybe she did do something like because just she's I know it mentioned too that she had like really bad postpartum depression Mm -hmm. and like it just makes you think like, oh, maybe she wasn't like mentally stable enough and she did something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are your final thoughts over this book? I love this book so much. This is my favorite thriller I've ever read. It's just so twisty. It's perfect. I think I've already gushed about the like reading the audiobook, but mm-hmm. whenever like somebody asks me like what should I listen to? Like we're going on a road trip. What do you recommend? I always recommend this book mm-hmm. because when you're like on a road trip, you like want to take a nap you know it's so hard to do like an audiobook with people in the car with you because like somebody always like passes out at some point and you're like god damn it now we have to like rewind it because so and so didn't hear that part but I don't think that you fall asleep listening to this book in my opinion I didn't yeah it definitely keeps you on your toes yeah it's a good one to to keep you so I'm assuming that your rating is probably a five star it's a five yep yeah I would say that too this was a really good a really good thriller Definitely keeps you on your toes and gets your heart beaten. Mm-hmm. Very invested in it the whole way. Yeah. Have you read anything else recently? So I just finished Tower of Dawn by Sarah G. Mass. I talked that I talked about it last week, which I realized when I was listening to the episode that I didn't actually tell anyone what the name of the book was. No. So <laughs> Tower of Dawn. Um, like I said, seventh book in the Throne of Glass series. It was very good just the world building we we talk about sjm all the time but like this book had a different kingdom in it than like the main story and the way that she crafts it is just so impressive it was giving me like dorn vibes from game of thrones and it was fantastic i don't want to like give anything away or even like mention who the book was about because that kind of gives away like the very beginning of the series but um yeah, fantastic. So I'm going to start Kingdom of Ash right away. It's the last book in the series. It's a thousand pages. I'm up to the challenge, but <laughs> I know it's going to be like a hefty read. It's a long one. Yeah. What yeah. about you? I just read the Haunting and Hunting Adeline series. Those are pretty long books too. I think they're like 600 pages each. But wow, does that put you through it? <laughs> like... <laughs> I, if you, there are so many trigger warnings for this book. Like if you think you can handle it and you can read about some of these trigger warnings, like I highly recommend it. Like this, this book, like made me question my own sanity at times. Like it, it's insane. Um, I can't really explain it without giving anything away just because so much happens in this book and it happens very fast, but there's this guy who's a stalker and then there's like the victim if you would say of the stalker the stalker stocky I don't know what you would call it sure but yeah so it kind of like goes into like the relationship between those two and who these people really are and it gets it's very very dark it's the darkest book I think I will ever read in my life like I don't think I've even seen a movie this dark before like it's dark so if I, I highly recommend it. I loved it. Who would you recommend this book to? Like, because it sounds like there's a lot of like trigger warning situations. I would recommend it to people who love scary movies and like reading scary books. Mm-hmm. That and can stomach and can handle the gore. Hand, yeah, can like stomach different. Like, if you've if you've seen the have you ever seen the movie Midsummer? Oh yeah, 
that movie messed me up so much. I Did was, you enjoy it though? Like, um, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Does feel that like, make me sound weird. No, okay. no. I feel like then I think you would like this book. Like, it's not. It's nothing like Midsummer, but like, it's so. Like, I love movies that just are like, what the fuck yeah. happens? Like, I love those kind of movies just because, like, you, you don't watch those very often and it's just exciting in a sense. But that's like this book. And I, I really, really want you to read it. I know I talk about it a lot with you, but yeah, it's really good. I will read it um, and let you know my thoughts. But yeah, I'm like, I'm mentally preparing myself for it and I have a, a big list I got to get through still. The second one, Hunting Adeline, is far darker than the first one. So, like, you kind of get, like, a taste of it in the first one. And then the second one's kind of, like, full throttle. Like, so, if the first one's too much for me, like, maybe don't continue with it. It ends on a huge cliffhanger. Oh. A huge cliffhanger. Okay. So, you'll probably end up reading the second. Like, the biggest cliffhanger I've ever read in a book. Like, <laughs> yeah. So okay. Stay tuned. I will read it eventually. Mm-hmm. Hopefully soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Thanks for uh getting lit with us today. We had a couple shots before we came on. We did. We were ripping we shots three. in your kitchen. <laughs> yeah. You didn't even touch your drink. David joined in a little bit. Yeah. My husband. Yeah, he was joining. He was throwing him back a little bit. Full disclosure, we're in Paige's basement. Yeah. I don't think we ever said like anything about our studio. No, but you guys did a fantastic job. Oh, thank you. What you're seeing now in this video, like where the where the wall ends over there is like as far as we painted, like the rest of the wall is white and same on this side. Like I, we didn't paint the whole wall. We need to get to that soon. But like this is what you're seeing now is like all of it. Should we do a behind the scenes like video of your basement and like show everybody like the blankets that are like pinned to your wall for yeah. like sound absorption. Yeah, it was echoing a lot in here, so we had to like pin blankets to or nail blankets to the walls to like decrease the echoing. Yeah. So yeah, maybe sometime we'll have to do a little behind the scenes. There's, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So well, that's a wrap for this episode of the Literary Lounge. And again, I'm your host, Paige. And I'm Emily. And next week, we are reading The Wicked King by Holly Black. Yes, the second book in the Folk of Air mm-hmm. series. So, yeah, join us every Wednesday for more book chats. And don't forget to share your thoughts on our social media. Um, again, we have our drink posted on there on Instagram. So you can go check that out. And if you want to continue this chat with any of our followers go head over to our youtube channel and leave comments under the video we'll make sure to respond to you guys if you have any questions but yeah we'll be waiting for you in the literary lounge with our drinks in hand bye guys bye